The term forensics has entered the mainstream thanks primarily to the exposure that forensics has received in popular television dramas such as Law and & Order and CSI. These shows provide a fictional look into the life of a forensic expert. But what they don't show you on TV is the important role that the physician assistant plays in the specialty of forensic medicine. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is Michelle Mack, Physician Assistant and the Director of Forensic Investigation for the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, District of Columbia. Today we are discussing the important role that physician assistants play in forensic medicine. Hi Michelle, welcome to ReachMD. Hello, thank you for having me. Michelle, you started your career as a medical legal investigator in New York City, and for over five years, you've been the Director of Forensic Investigation for the District of Columbia. Could you tell us what the role of the physician assistant in forensic medicine was and is now that you've seen during the course of your career? The PA plays an integral role on the team. We actually are the eyes, the ears, the hands, and the nose of the pathologist at the scene. We provide the story that goes with the body that the pathologist, the medical examiner, finds on the table in the morning. Let's talk about the different job titles that a PA might have in forensics. And let's start with the difference between some of these. What's the difference between a medical examiner and a medical legal investigator, one and two, and a coroner? And which job would a PA have? The difference between an MLI-1 and an MLI-2, that's jurisdictional. That's something that you might find in another jurisdiction, not here in D.C. MLI-1 is an entry-level medical legal investigator. An MLI-2 would have had several years' experience, and then in some places they may have an MLI-3, which would be a very senior investigator. We don't have that here in D.C. The investigators, we use a grade system, much as the federal government does. So the MLIs are grade 14 here in the district. The difference between an MLME and a coroner, a coroner is an elected physician. They're an officer of the court. Anyone can be a coroner as long as you get elected to the position. You don't need to have any medical background. But if you look at the coroners that are out there, lots of them come from the funeral industry. There's many pathologists, doctors, nurses, a few physician assistants that I know of who are coroners, nurses, and so forth. And ME, on the other hand, is a physician. It's someone who's had a residency in both anatomical and clinical pathology, has done a fellowship in forensic pathology, and most are board certified by forensic pathologists. Here in the district, the medical examiner is an appointed position in the district. The chief medical examiner is appointed by the mayor. So a physician assistant would typically be an MLI. Yes, or a coroner. Or a coroner. And then is the supervising physician the ME? Yes. Okay, great. So how did you end up in death investigation? Do you and other people in this industry have a fascination with death that led you there? I don't think it's a fascination with death. I think that the people who work in this field are naturally curious and inquisitive And this satisfies a lot of that inborn need to know 
I know for myself, I've always been the one who would ask the questions no one else would ask. I've been the one, and I'm willing to admit it, who would look in people's medicine cabinets from the time I was a child. You learn a lot by looking in a person's medicine cabinet, and now that's part of my job, to collect information about someone. And not anything fascinated with death. It's more the science of it, what happens, how it happens, and what does it all mean, because the people that are your subjects, your clients, your patients, whatever you want to call them, they can't talk to you. You have to pull all of the skills that you've developed, every lesson that you've learned in PA school to do a history from third party and a physical examination that isn't the same as doing it on a live person. So, Michelle, what is your typical day? There's no typical day. (laughs) There is no typical day. We often say, you know, death makes no appointments. And that's one of the things that people like about this job is that you come to work not knowing what you're going to find, where you're going to end up. You can have a day where absolutely no deaths are called in, which is rare. And you can have a day where they just come back to back to back, where you're out all day long for hours in all kinds of weather, all kinds of environments with people from all kinds of socioeconomic classes, heads of state, anybody, anybody. Death is the great equalizer. So how does your job differ today from when you were a medical legal investigator in Manhattan? When I was in New York, I was an MLI-1, and I did go to an MLI-2, but I didn't have the administrative duties that I have now didn't have those responsibilities. Life was a little more carefree (laughs) in a matter of speaking. But essentially, the job is very much the same. You do the same things. You approach a scene and a death investigation the same way. You're looking for the same information to help you decide whether or not a case of death falls under the jurisdiction of the medical examiner. Well, to most people, what happens to a body after death is an unknown, and we don't think about the process of what goes into preparing a body. We just accept it. For you, death is the beginning of your work, from the death scene to the autopsy. How do you mentally separate from the emotional part of the job? That comes with experience, and it takes a very special person to work in this field. There's a lot of emotion You're with families when they're at some of the lowest points in their life, and you need to stay professional. How do you do it? It's hard to explain how you do it. You take a step back, and you do your job, and then you come back to the office, and your other investigators, your coworkers are here who know what it's like, who know what your experiences are, who know the emotions that you're going through, and they're the people that you bounce it off of and... You just go on. It's part of the circle of life. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Michelle Mack, PA and Director of Forensic Investigation for the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, District of Columbia. We are discussing the important role that physician assistants play in forensic medicine. So, Michelle, let's talk about autopsies and some of the common questions regarding autopsies. First is, when is an autopsy mandatory? First of all, it depends on the jurisdiction because every state 
every city, county has different laws. Basically, any death that's suspicious is caused by any means of violence or injury, an unattended death, a death of somebody who's a ward or in custody, and any death that may pose a threat to public health. Those are the types of deaths that come under the jurisdiction of the medical examiner's office. When is an autopsy mandatory? That all depends, again, on what information the pathologist has and how the jurisdiction operates. Here in the district, if we have a case where a body is found and there are gunshot wounds or stab wounds, for example, that's evidence that mandates an autopsy because you need to get the evidence to prosecute. There might be retained bullets in the body, which may have to be extracted, and again, that's presented in court as evidence. If you don't have a good medical history for the decedent, then the doctors can't certify cause and manner without any information, so that may mandate an autopsy. Otherwise, the death certificate cause and manner says undetermined. And again, it depends on the jurisdiction, on the circumstances, and on what information is available to the medical examiner to determine whether or not an autopsy needs to be done. What are some of the different religious issues that become a barrier to autopsy? You know, working in Manhattan, you probably came across some Jewish traditions which forbid autopsy and have time constraints, and I think Buddhists also don't permit refrigeration. How do you properly do your job while respecting the decedent's religious rights? We have to work within the law, and we acknowledge a family's objection to an autopsy for whatever their reasons are, and we will try to do the best we can to honor those objections. However, again, the medical examiner has the last word. And here in the district, if there is a reason to do an autopsy, the medical examiner will do that, and we'll let the families know. Again, it's jurisdictional. When I worked in New York, there were many times when an autopsy was objected to and that objection was honored. And there were times when limited autopsies were done for religious reasons. When some religions need to have burials or final disposition within a certain period of time after the death has occurred, and we do the best we can to have those bodies examined or autopsied and have them ready for a funeral home to pick up so that the families can have their services within that allotted time. We do the best we can, but we always make sure that we explain to the community why we're doing what we're doing and let them know We will do the best we can to honor their wishes, but sometimes the law will not allow us to do that. So let's talk about the puzzle that needs to be solved with every death. I'll admit that I'm a law and order junkie, and in every show, the medical examiner takes a two-second look at the body and declares the time of death. Is it really that easy? Oh, no. (laughs) The only time you can declare the time of death is if you see the person die. (laughs) That's basically the only time. There are so many factors that go into giving an estimated time of death, rigor mortis, liver mortis, algor mortis, body heat that's lost, the rigidity that's found in the joints and the muscles, and the gravitational pulling of blood once the heart stops beating. All of those things can give you some signs, but you look for other things too. Somebody might have had a newspaper out with a date on it or 
somebody hasn't been seen in several days and you go to their house and you'll see newspapers piled up outside and some inside. So you look at the dates and you can kind of figure out when that person may have last been alive. You look in the refrigerator for expiration dates on food. Sometimes that helps. People keep calendars, voicemail, email. Many of those items are needed in order to try to establish the time of death. And how long does DNA evidence really take? That all depends on what you're doing. We tell families that it's not going to take any less than three months to get information back to do ID through DNA processing, analysis and comparison. So not 40 minutes when you take out commercials? No. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The autopsy is just one part of the larger field of forensics. You're also the liaisons between law and medical science and often find yourselves in the courtroom. Tell us about the role of PAs in forensic medicine and how this plays into the justice system. The PA medical legal investigator is the person who collects the evidence, whether it be information or physical evidence. So we must maintain chain of custody and be sure that that chain of custody remains intact. Many investigators will get called to testify in court about their findings at a scene, about the photographs they may have been taken, about reports that they have made which may or may not coincide with autopsy reports or other witness accounts or what have you. The investigators here in D.C. don't often go to testify. It's mostly the pathologist who will testify on their autopsy findings, but we work closely with the police. We do parallel investigations So we must make sure we work within the letter of the law, maintaining chain of custody and doing what we need to do to allow the medical examiner to certify cause and manner. And Michelle, what's the job outlook for PAs in the field of forensics? Well, I can say in D.C. it's quite good because we have several vacancies here. And if people are interested in getting in touch with you for those vacancies or have any other questions regarding PAs in forensics, mm-hmm. where can they get that information? Well, the vacancy posting is on the dc.gov website, and you can navigate from the homepage through find a D.C. government job and just navigate through that to look for that. I am available by my email address, which is m-i-c-h-e-l-l-e dot m-a-c-k at dc.gov. Thank you, Michelle, for coming on the show. Great. Thank you. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thanks for listening.